Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, I I feel like we got to start the podcast with this and let everybody know this is the last episode of this podcast. Um, this is the last one we're ever going to do. You have accepted a new role as head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I have. Big congratulations to you in this step forward in your career. Congratulations. It's been a fun ride, but I look forward to seeing what you have in your future. The podcasting was lucrative, but I'm done now. <laughs> Figure, uh, you know. Taking your talents to South Beach, as it were. I am. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm done with the. Uh, I'm done podcasting with you. It's been a great few years, more than a few years now. <laughs> it's been a great half half decade plus, but it's been a long time. Yeah, it's. Yeah, God, we've done what six seasons? Yeah, six full seasons of, of uh, games. On so to seven. This yeah. this summer will be uh, yeah start of year seven. So, uh, you know. It's been a it's been a good ride, but I look forward to seeing you and your dolphins here moving forward. Yeah, it's we love Tua. That's <laughs> what I hear. We love Tua. That's that's yeah. I'm told that's your job is to make him into something. So uh, good good luck with that. <laughs> not, we're not in Alabama anymore, so it's going to be a problem. That's right. That's right. Uh, Mike, we are uh, we we have a couple things to catch up on since our last recording, which was I don't know, it was like a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe not quite, but almost. Um, we have a couple of newsy items to catch up on and um, just, you know, a couple of little like, you know, we talked about signing day, got to talk about the schedule release. So uh, we're going to get into those. But before we do, let's just jump in here. Uh, one of the things that we discussed pretty thoroughly uh, in the last episode was the fact that we were a solid like six weeks into the Mario Cristobal era at Miami and he didn't have coordinators. And I'm glad we got our jokes off when we did. That's right. That's right. And even though it took me like two yeah. days to edit and post the episode that was still applicable when I posted it, uh, no longer quite as applicable, we'll say. He hires Kevin Steele as his defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. Kevin Steele, of course, famed for trying to launch a coup to take over the head coaching job at Auburn from Malzahn when they fired him towards the end of the season two years ago, going on two seasons ago. So that didn't quite work out. So mm -hmm. how's Miami sound? Better than Maryland, apparently. I I can understand why he left Mike Loxley. <laughs> that seems like a sinking ship to me, but who's to stay? No disagreement here. Yeah. So I would leave Maryland, too. I mean, going from Auburn to Maryland seems like a step down. Mm -hmm. Going from Maryland to Miami seems like a moderate step up, especially when you're coaching with Mario Cristobal. So mm -hmm. that seemed really smart. And then offensive coordinator-wise, how about getting the Broyles Award winner, Josh Gaddis from Michigan? Which, man, I got a lot to say about this one, Joey. Yeah, that's, that's pretty damn good. Uh, that, that's... 
you know, on a certain level, I feel like it's an an odd move, maybe for for Gaddis from a football standpoint, but from a like an off field non football standpoint. I would do the same thing in a heartbeat. Like I would be out of there. I've never been Joey. to Ann Arbor, Michigan, but I can tell you that Miami is nicer. Yep. Miami's nicer. A lot more talent down there as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's easier to recruit to Miami than it is to Ann Arbor, Michigan, as weird as that sounds. Even though Michigan has never had trouble recruiting, it's, mm-hmm. man, the allure of South Beach, Joey. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's there's the, an allure. There. If you've ever been yeah. there, it's uh, it's a nice place. <laughs> it's it's a place that I, I you know you drive around a little bit and it's immediately like yeah no I see why people spend a bunch of money to uh, to live here I get that. <laughs> yeah, I get that too. Uh, yeah, from an off field standpoint, for guys to leave Michigan made a ton of sense just because Harbaugh was flirting with Minnesota, and he goes over and says, you know what, just Minnesota. kidding. Yes, yes, the yeah NFL NFL <laughs> Minnesota. Uh, they say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. And then he comes back to Michigan and says, yep, just kidding. I am never going to do that again, which raise your hand if you believe that. I don't. That was a really strange uh, saga, by the way. Very odd. Uh, very odd. Looked like all signs were pointing to him taking the Vikings job, and then it was never really offered to him. So he goes back to Michigan. And he goes, just kidding. I'm the head coach now. And look, if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I understand why he did that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're leaving, you're leaving Michigan after taking him to a college football playoff. You took a massive pay cut because you couldn't beat Ohio State. You finally check that box, right? You beat Ohio State. You get him to a college football playoff. And then you basically say, hey, Michigan, show me the money. And then when they don't really show you the money, you say, you know what? I'm, gonna see, I'm just going to go over here to the NFL, mm-hmm. you know, where I was a successful coach, right, before I left college, right? Makes it was for a nice college bargaining Stanford, ship, nothing else. Right? That's what I'm thinking. But didn't really work out for him. Kind of backfired a little bit because Vikings never actually offered him that job. So back to Michigan he goes. For Josh Gaddis, he's like, All right, are you guys gonna you guys gonna pay me a little bit? Because the report that came out after Gaddis announced that he was going to Miami was that he didn't really feel that appreciated at Michigan, which that means one thing to me, Joey. Money. Mm-hmm. He wanted more money. And we know that Gaddis was in on a few different head coaching searches this offseason. So he knows what his worth is. And I get it, right? I get it. It's You get out of there, too, because you don't really... Harbaugh's a little bit of a loose can at this point, right? So you say, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to go down to Miami. Crystal Ball's just getting there. I know it's going to be a secure job. I know he's going to be there a while. Like, this is a cushy landing spot for me. Same thing Derek Mason just did leaving Auburn. Auburn's a firestorm right now as we record here on Monday night. Like mm-hmm. Harson is still the head coach right now. Emphasis on right now. He's still yeah. the head coach. He lost his defense. This at 11.15 p.m. on Monday night. He is still the head coach. Still employed. <laughs> still employed. I would not put my money on him being the head coach in like 72 hours, but he's the head coach right now. Mm-hmm. And Derek Mason, his old defensive coordinator, former Vanderbilt head coach, said, you know what, I'm going to go to Oklahoma State, I'm going to be their defensive coordinator, and guess what, I'm going to do it for 400 grand less than what I'm making here, because this is a disaster. I'm getting out of here, right? So, mm-hmm. Gaddis did that more politely, going to Miami, and it is a huge hire, a huge hire for Cristobal. Mm-hmm. Like, 
the issue with Miami has never been the talent. They've been getting the talent with these coaches that they've had recently, right? Like the last three or four head coaches have been recruiting fine, like good enough, right? Um, in a lot of cases, like Rick, especially Rick and Diaz have been recruiting well compared to what they had before with Randy Shannon and Al Golden. Like the last few coaches they've had have been recruiting much better than that. And they haven't gotten the talent, right? It's been a culture thing. Cristobal is going to change the culture and getting steel in the door and getting guys from Michigan. Like these are two coordinator hires along with the head coach and Cristobal that could change, potentially change the landscape of the coastal. Mm -hmm. Like these are the types of hires that Miami has needed because the talent has been there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and and with, with Gaddis in particular, I mean, I will say this is a guy that I, I could very easily see not being very long for this job. Because oh, he'll be certainly a head, not. He'll be a head coaching candidate, like as, assuming that all goes well here. And there's no reason to think that it won't. I mean, not not just you know his history and kind of the being off the James Franklin coaching tree and some of the other positions he's held. I mean, he's he's been a successful offensive coordinator, and he steps into a situation where he's coaching Tyler Van Dyke in a, in a roster that is uh, prepared to you know take on his system and and run it effectively day one. You know, there, there's not a lot of right. holes. I think, you know, to some degree, maybe the offensive line is always a point of contention with Miami. But other than that, I mean, he's got all the skill talent and the the quarterback at his disposal. So um, really huge hire there on the offense. And then Kevin Steele also kind of an interesting, uh, interesting name here for this particular spot. But like, again, a guy who, um, you know, comes very well regarded. He was a really good defensive coordinator for a number of years at Auburn. Um, strangely enough, he was actually the defensive coordinator that Dabo fired to go hire Brent Venables. <laughs> um, and, uh, t- to see the way that Kevin Steele has kind of remade his, his career, I think speaks to his ability as a, as a coach and a defensive coach. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think two really good home run hires at, at the coordinator spots. I will say, I think that some of what we said last week in particular about the offense will continue to stand until we see anything different from Mario Cristobal, where, you can ask questions about how much uh, Josh Gaddis is going to be just given total uh, free reign over the offense and what they want to do uh, versus right. how much will Cristobal kind of keep his thumb down on it a little bit and, and make sure it's run the way he wants it run. But then again, I feel like Josh Gaddis is used to working in an environment like that where for years seemed under Jim Harbaugh, he wasn't actually given uh, free reign in the way that maybe he was previously. So um, that'll be interesting to monitor and, and to watch is to see how, how this Josh Gaddis offense is different from this most recent year at Michigan, where I believe more control was given away versus the two previous years at Michigan, where, uh, Harbaugh was, was a little bit more, uh, had a little more oversight or a little more, uh, control over what was going on. So I don't know. I, I, I like these hires. I think they're, they're a good set of hires. And, and again, going along with Alex Mirabal, the offensive line coach that comes with them is very well regarded. Uh, Kevin Smith is hired as the running backs coach there. Um, I, I mean, I think Mario Cristobal putting together a really good staff, although it's kind of strange how slowly it's coming together, all, all things considered. Yeah, I agree. Because the one conversation we had on the last podcast when we were kind of making jokes about Cristobal not hiring his staff yet is the fact that, like, what was the holdup exactly? Because all mm-hmm. of these guys that he's hiring are coming from the collegiate ranks. It's not like he's hiring a bunch of NFL guys, which that was a comment we made. It's like maybe he's just holding out for some of these NFL teams that are still in the playoffs. You know, maybe that's what the deal is. Maybe there's a guy or two 
at the next level that's coming back down to college that they got to wait on, which we've seen be the case at other ACC schools, right? So mm-hmm. the fact that that hasn't really been the case, it really makes you wonder kind of what was the holdup, you know, what took them so long, but they land Kevin Steele, they land Josh Gaddis, they land Alex Mirabal, the offensive line coach. These are good hires, like. These are the type of hires that Miami needs from a cultural standpoint because culture is the issue here. It's not football talent. They got the football never talent. Was. It was never that was never the problem. And God, we could we could sit here on the podcast, say that's we're blue in the face every mm-hmm. single year. It's like, man, that is not the problem. It's not the talent. Now, I would like to congratulate Miami though, Joey. Oh. Because Miami is officially the ACC coastal favorite because they now have Josh Gaddis as their offensive coordinator, who is like <laughs> one of the hottest coaching names in college football. Mm-hmm. And they hired Mario Cristobal. So they got to be winning the coastal, right? Because overnight, you just automatically just like plug and play and win 10. Yeah, I, I expect everything that has ailed this program will be fixed by like Thursday or Friday of this week. And uh, yes, yeah, they'll probably Which run puts the you in really ball. good shape. I was going to say it puts you in really good shape for spring practice, right? You you fix everything in a couple days, Mm -hmm. and then you're ready for spring practice. And then, I mean, everybody just gets better over the summer. Nobody regresses because that's always how it works. Everybody always gets better. And then you get to the fall, and no such thing as a sophomore slump for your quarterback. And there's no way that Josh Gaddis's offensive system, you know, won't be easy to understand for all the players. It won't be easy to you know, catch on to, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. If, and if you think about it, it's really a shame they didn't do this a year ago when they could have then gone in and beaten Alabama week one. I, I that's true. That, that really would have been uh, this really smart move was to do this and prepare and, and go ahead and knock off Alabama and really announce yourself. Right. Yeah. Because Bryce Young was inexperienced then. I think he threw for 300 yards and four touchdowns. I think something like that. Right. Right. Um, yeah. This so, coaching staff would have prevented that though. That's <laughs> Yes, definitely. And also, Miami wants to strike while the iron's hot because Kevin Steele's probably going to try to take the Auburn job shortly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, so It's, it's going to be a great week with I, Kevin Steele here on the staff before he uh, runs off to the Plains. Right. He's either going to run off to the Plains or he's going to start another coup. So those are the <laughs> options. No. I, I will say this, though. Like, honestly, between, between what we've seen from North Carolina, at least in terms of roster building... Um, mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing here from Miami in terms of off the field, getting some of their stuff together, like the window is closing, I think, for the other teams in the Coastal. Like these two teams feel like they are set up in a way to be able to, to kind of monopolize the entire division from everybody else, um, you know, where it has been such a rotating door and kind of a grab bag division year over year over year since we've been doing this podcast and even going back till I would say, I don't know, like 2013 or something when Duke won, won the Coastal. Yeah. Like basically that whole time since then, it's just been a, a year in, year out, like who the hell knows kind of thing. I, I think that's going to go away. I, I think I think we're staring down that it's about to be Miami and North Carolina's division. I mean, I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, like from a, t- from a talent standpoint, it's certainly reasonable. I mean, I think Pittsburgh probably missed the boat with Kenny Pickett a bit because he didn't really turn into a really good quarterback until his fifth year. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Virginia Tech reg- regressed under Fuente. Georgia Tech regressed under Collins. Uh, Duke, we know Duke regressed, but they were never going to be a perennial coastal title contender anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think from a recruiting standpoint, Miami has certainly been the team in the coastal. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, Carolina is now recruiting at a level similar to, to Clemson, which I know we'll get into. Uh, but they got to start winning games on the field too, which is another part of the coin, something that Miami has struggled with, even with all the talent they've had on their roster. So yep. Carolina's kind of in that same boat right now. Yep, yep. I don't know. I, I just feel like this division is, is dying for somebody to like really get their stuff together and take, take control yeah. of it. And Oh, yeah. Those are the two teams that look like they are actively doing it. Um, the other team I would look at that I think can do it, we'll see if they actually do it, is Virginia Tech. Um, I, you know, seems like a we'll good see. hire that they made, but so did the last one. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I like the hire. I like the approach to recruiting, but the cupboard is so bare. And the, the concern that I have is like, it's probably going to take two full recruiting cycles of prize guys to get it back to kind of where it needs to be on that front. Yeah. And then you got to develop the talent in the room, which is a whole separate piece of it, which is the part that Carolina and Miami are trying to do. Right. Yeah. So I mean, Virginia, Tech, that, that's have, a three to four year build at this point. I think so too. Like prize said it, you know, they, they signed a top 30 class for 2022, which is great. Um, I, well, they had a top third class. I don't know what it ended up being after National Signing Day, a second one. We'll talk about that in a second. I can look at it myself. But um, they had like a top 30 class, which I thought for Pride to keep those guys was great. But he already mentioned how they're kind of behind on 2023, right? I mean, you're naturally kind of behind because you try to recruit those kids when they're you know freshmen in high school, like ninth graders. Mm-hmm. That's when you'd like to get your foot in the door, ideally, with some of those relationships. And I think the recruiting class for 23 will be fine, right? By Brent Price standards, he'll be okay. But I don't think you'll really start to see the, the returns that the staff um, can give you from a recruiting standpoint until you get a couple of years down the line. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Th- these things... These things always take more time than I think people are willing to give it. You know, there's a there's a whole patience issue. It seems like with college right. football uh, fan bases. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Ask Auburn. <laughs> Mike, speaking of recruiting, let's let's get into that here. Uh, if you're good, moving on. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, one of the other things that's happened since we recorded last was, of course, the second and final national signing day. Um, so the final signing period has begun and is underway and is mostly done with uh, with recruits nationally. And so recruiting results are pretty much wrapped up at this point um, with, if, you know, who, who's who's going into what class like we, we know that at this point. Um, interesting, I, I think, kind of groupings in the in the uh, in the ACC here will say. Uh, finishing first in the conference and 10th overall nationally. And of course we're using the, uh, 24 seven sports, uh, composite rankings, North Carolina finishes with the highest rated class in the conference, uh, beating out Clemson by a little less than a point. Uh, Clemson of course, then comes in 11th nationally, second in the conference, Miami at 15th nationally, uh, third in the conference, and Florida State 20th nationally and fourth in the conference. Um, so a, a pretty good grouping of four ACC programs here in the top 20. Um, 
it's not like anything mind blowing, but I feel like that's pretty good, especially relative to some recent years and results that we've seen. Like that's pretty decent high end recruiting, I think, for this conference historically. It is just very interesting to me, and might I say a little odd to me, that Carolina is able to recruit at the same level of Clemson. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, I'm sure North Carolina also has like a slide in their football facility and like a barber shop and those things, right? Right. Right. And it's also good when you can funnel money from your billionaire, <laughs> like your most famous member of, of your alma mater, right? Like the, the most famous guy in your alumni base. Julius Peppers. Be... <laughs> Marquise Williams. <laughs> hey, Bo Corrales uh, hasn't gotten paid on the record yet. That's, that is, that's, that's very true. And Mitchell Trubisky's a backup quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> damn it. He's famous too. Oh, golly. That's a name I didn't about. He went by Mitch in college. <laughs> Like, I I'd forgot about that too. <laughs> Might as well be a second person, right? Man. Oh man. Anyway, that's enough Carolina jokes. They have a really good recruiting class. I think that. Um, so what Carolina's done too is like from a and we we kind of just talked about this at a high level, but what they've done is they've kind of shifted the the dynamic in the coastal division quite a bit with the influx of talent that they brought in, like. You know, we're not used to seeing Carolina recruit at a level like top 10 nationally, Mm -mm. really ever. I mean, Fedora, like I mentioned earlier, like Fedora recruited well at Carolina. He didn't recruit like this, though. No, this is on another level. Now, Fedora has had multiple seasons where you look to Carolina, whether it was like Marquise Williams or the, the first year of Trubisky, where you looked at that team, you're like, man, that Carolina team is pretty good. I haven't really had that with Mac Brown's Carolina teams yet where I'm like, man, that team is like when they're playing while they're playing, like that team is really good. Maybe 2020 during COVID, like they had a pretty decent year, but I haven't had that like light switch moment where I'm like, yeah, that team is like the best team or or one of the best teams in the ACC. I haven't felt that yet with them. I think they're recruiting at that level. Mm -hmm. I just haven't seen it on the field yet. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting looking back at it, too, because, I mean, you realize this this recruiting class had the number two and number three recruit in UNC history. Uh, right. Zach Rice and Travis Shaw, both five-star prospects, uh, one an offensive lineman, one a defensive lineman. Um, those are the second and third best recruits in recorded history for UNC. Uh, that joins Tony Grimes, Keyshawn Silver, and Desmond Evans as five of the top 10 recruits ever to come to North Carolina are all going to be on this roster this fall. Like if you want to, if you want to point to something that says that they are elevating their recruiting beyond what they ever have in the past, there you go. There you go. Yeah. By bringing in like four out of the five, you know, top recruits in school history and have them be in the same, like couple of recruiting classes mm-hmm. consecutively. That's the way to do it. Yeah. So I mean, again, that's the same thing that we're talking about. Like that kind of shifts the uh, the landscape in the coastal division and maybe in the conference overall uh, from from what we're used to in the in recent years. Yeah, and Mac Brown has signed a contract extension through twenty twenty seven. And look, let's let's face it, Mac Brown is not going to be coaching five years from now. That would shock me. Mm-hmm. But what the reason why I think they did that, Joey, 
is so that other schools within the conference can't negatively recruit Carolina from the standpoint of, hey, don't go play for Mac Brown. He's going to retire. Why would yeah. you go play for him? It's the same thing Virginia Tech was facing with Beamer, right? It's what Alabama's face with Nick Saban. You know, it's the reason why all these coaches that are older sign these contract extensions because mm-hmm. they can always guard against and be like, oh, what are you talking about? I'm going to be here through 2027. I'm going to be here in our five years. I'll mm-hmm. be here the entire time you're, you're a student here. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll be here. Yeah. Like, whether that's true or not, you can guard against that now in recruiting. So I think that's why Max signed the extension. I think it's the only reason Carolina gave it to him. They're not giving him the extension based on on-field play. Carolina hasn't been that good since Mac Brown's been there. But right. from a recruiting standpoint, they've recruited exceptionally well, better mm-hmm. than they ever have, right? And you want to keep that going so that even if Mac Brown isn't able to elevate you from an on, on-field record standpoint, he's elevated you in recruiting so the cupboard's not there for the next guy coming in, right? Yeah. That's all Carolina's trying to do here. They want to make sure that whether it's Mac Brown or somebody else, the team is set up, right? Mm-hmm. The program's set up for the future when Mac Brown does step aside. So I think it's really smart for the two parties to get that done. Yeah, that's one of those situations where, like, worst case, if you end up, you know, moving on from Mac Brown, hire someone else, like, you're set up like a friggin' slingshot. Like, right. you know, your roster is loaded and ready to go, and uh, you, you're set to take a pretty big jump there. It, um, yeah, and I said it as I said it as a joke, too, over the weekend. I was like, it, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I was like, oh, Mac Brown signed an extension in Carolina, which is great news for the rest of the ACC, which I, I kind of mean, but not really, because... <laughs> recruiting wise i disagree yeah but from a uh from a on-field production standpoint show me the lie so far right Mm -hmm. like it's been it's been fine for the rest of the conference but i feel like your luck runs out when you get so many five stars he is four games over 500 in the three years since he returned to north carolina not incredible i mean they had the one really good year made the orange bowl in 2020 but other than that like it's been a couple of 500 ish years. So for what that's worth, one day's record was better through his first three years. So yikes. <laughs> yikes is right. Um, Clemson at 11. That's a little bit lower than we're used to. Um, and I know we said, Mike, that we don't really want to hit on like individual players, but there is one player in here that I think bears, you know, it is worth mentioning. That's Kate Klubnick, uh, mm-hmm. quarterback out of Austin Westlake high school. Um, he is the number one quarterback in this class yet again. I believe that's the third number one quarterback in the class that they've recruited now in the last like five years or something like that. Right. Uh, joining Trevor Lawrence and DJ Uyunglele. Um Was he number one or was he number two? I don't know. Anyways. Uh, I believe he was. Yeah, I believe he was number one. Um, Mike, the reason I want to discuss Cade Klubnik is uh, realistically, is there a shot that he is uh, taking over for DJU at some point by midseason? At some point, like the opener, maybe. Yeah, like absolutely. <laughs> like week one? Like by absolutely. then? Yeah, like week, like week one. I, I think I've seen enough of DJU at Clemson. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe some of Clemson's recent coordinator hires promotions because that's what they've been, right? Their promotions, they're promoting from within at these positions. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they feel differently and feel like they can get something different out of DJU that Tony Elliott was unable to, but I doubt it. So, mm-hmm. call me skeptical. So, oh, yeah, you're definitely skeptical. Klubnick's so am I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Klubnik. Klubnik is absolutely playing. Like there will no, there will not be a red shirt on K. Klubnik. Yeah. He will definitely be playing. 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it says if if DJU continues the way that he did this past year and uh, we don't see Cade Klubnik. I don't know what it says about Clemson's evaluation and coaching abilities. Like, gonna be interesting to watch. It's Cade Klubnik. I don't believe Cade Klubnik enrolled early. Um, um, maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong about that. Uh, but point being, if he did enroll early, the spring could get very interesting. And I am googling this. I'm googling it as I'm well. Curious. Yeah, it looks like it looks like he did uh, enroll early. So, uh huh. So he signed in the December early signing period. Who will enroll in Clemson? Yeah. So he is he's on campus now. <laughs> he's on campus now. So. That changes things a little bit. Mm-hmm. The spring is going to be very interesting. Yeah, that's going to be a fun uh, a fun storyline to uh, to track as we go through the spring with Clemson and work towards the season. I mean, it's it's a thing. He's not going to get named the starter in the spring, but no, no, no. You no, might no, hear some news no, reports no, no. about how he looks a lot better, or uh, how you know there's there's division in the locker room, or you know things like that. So it sounds like. Have to place a phone call to Quok and just have him on again. Mm-hmm. See what he has to say because he is plugged in, Joey. Yeah. So we're we will we will have some information coming out of that podcast. He'll have a good take on that. Yep. Uh, once again, Miami at fifteenth uh, nationally, third in the conference. Interesting to me here, Mike, is that they only had fourteen commitments here. Uh, fourteen signees. Thing is, ten of them were four stars, so not a lot of quantity, but plenty of quality within that quantity. They had the highest average recruiting rank in the conference. Mm-hmm. So if Miami signed as many recruits as North Carolina, they would have a higher ranked class. If they signed as many recruits as Clemson, Miami would have a higher ranked class, assuming they kept their average recruiting rank ranking. So their recruits, it's, it's, it's quality over quantity, right? They, they signed three less recruits than North Carolina. They signed six less recruits than Clemson. But the average ranking of the recruits that they signed was higher than Clemson or North Carolina. So Miami has a very good class here. And they were able to do that with the coaching turnover, which makes it even more impressive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, similar situation, maybe not not as uh, impressive a class, but you know, down at 20th nationally, again, fourth in the conference, Florida State, only 16 signees. Six four-stars, though, uh, and that, that was good enough for them to be 20th nationally. Keep in mind, too, that they lost out on at least one very high-end, high-profile recruit late. Uh, I know they were a program that was kind of looked at as they, they did not close particularly well, and I know Travis Hunter, by the way, pride of Collins Hill High School, go Eagles. Um, he flips on signing day from Florida State to Jackson State, um, and that one caught everybody off guard and i know everyone is really mm-hmm. upset about that with uh, mike norvell in particular but like mm-hmm. on some level mike what are you gonna do you could have gotten a phone call you know a month earlier and said hey your top recruit is gonna flip to a, a hbcu and like you, w- what's your response like yeah okay like sure like what well, that's never happened before why would you think it would ever happen now like i, I I do not blame Mike Norvell or that staff for that at all, personally. 2020, when Norvell basically first got there, I mean, that was, I guess, his first recruiting class, but not really, because um, he joined on after the conclusion of the 2019 season, so he's coming in mid-cycle. The 2020 recruiting class finished 22nd nationally in the composite, 
the 2021 recruiting class finished 22nd nationally in the composite. And the 2022 recruiting class that he just signed after Travis Hunter bailed and went to an HBCU finished 20th in the composite. Mm-hmm. This is Mike Norvell's best recruiting class at Florida State, and he lost the best player in it to an HBCU. Joey, Florida State's going to be fine, man. Mm-hmm. And they haven't even been that good on the field yet, right? Like they, they've subtle improvements, right? That's like what 2020, I'm thinking. 2020, we saw some flashes, right? They beat Carolina. We're like, all right, well, they, they got a little something. Uh, last year, uh, yes, they... They had some debacles, right? Jacksonville State, not great. The late loss to Notre Dame, not great. Uh, but there were also highs last year, right? They started playing mm-hmm. a lot better from like mid-October onward. I thought they were a lot better. And now you got a top 20 class, right, that you can cling on to. Mm-hmm. And Norvell's, Norvell's making some headway. They got to be patient with him. I'm telling yeah. you. You have to give that time. Like, Give it time. I'd say two more years. I think two more years, almost come hell or high water, like at minimum, you have to, have to, have to. Jimbo left at a really bad time, and then they brought in Taggart, and that was a disaster for a year and a half. Yeah, and then cratered. Norvell's, yeah, Norvell's inheriting that mess. I mean, you got to give him at least four or five years to figure, like from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah, that, I mean, then throw COVID on top of all that, and you know. Has he done everything exactly right and, uh, you know, been without without fail or without mistake? Like, no. There, there have been missteps and failures and things that he could have avoided that uh, he has made mistakes on. But I think by and large, you know, again, give it time. Like, let the results on the field start to show up, and then let's see what they do in recruiting. Because, like, this is what they're doing as a team that has, what, have they even made a bowl game in the last, like, basically since Jimbo left? Uh, uh Googling. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's what well, 2019 they made the Sun Bowl against Arizona State, and that was where they had fired Willie Taggart mid-season. Odell Haggins yeah. takes over, and they uh, they finished out kind of strong actually, uh, to to make that Sun Bowl against Arizona State. So yeah, one bowl game in the last four years and they're pulling off like top 20 classes. I I'd yeah. give that another, another year or two. Yeah. I mean, the only other time that they played in non new Year's six bowl since Jimbo departed 2017 independence bowl. And I'm pretty sure that was right after Jimbo left. Mm-hmm. That was right around the time Jimbo left. Anyway, it was, right. I think he left before the bowl game. Yeah. So crazy times. Yep. Yep. Uh, Mike, five and six in the conference, Virginia Tech and Boston College. Um, Virginia Tech, obviously, under under new leadership with Brent Pry coming in. Boston College, uh, not so much, you know, with uh, Jeff Halfley still being there and that staff and everything. Um, what's interesting to me is this, I guess, and it's not really with these two teams, but these are, these are kind of the last two teams that we're going to talk about that had a quote-unquote full class. Um, so a lot of these recruiting services build their rankings – off of like a 20 person class. So it's, you know, you're, you're graded off of your top 20 recruits in the class. And at the point that you have 18, 16, whatever, like you are just losing points, you know, giving up points incrementally for every spot that you don't have filled. But sometimes that's by design, right? Like, you know, you've only got so many scholarships you can spend. If you don't have the scholarships, you can't bring in people to fill those spots. A B Mike, this has only gotten more exaggerated with the uh, transfer portal 
and the uh, the prominence that that's kind of developed. You've got schools like Florida State. They only had 16 commitments out of high school. They took 10 transfers, Mike. Like, yeah, they're adding to the roster, even though it's not, you know, in the form of signing high school players. And so the point being here that I think, you know, the, the, the remainder of the other, what, eight schools in the conference, I would take these recruiting rankings with a grain of salt because none of them had a full like 20 plus person class. That being Duke at seven, Georgia Tech at eight, Louisville at nine, NC State 10, Virginia 11, Syracuse 12, Pitt 13, Wake Forest 14. Um, I mean, almost every one of these programs was taking a good number of transfers, and those aren't really being cooked into the rankings at all. So just keep that in mind. Take it all with a grain of salt when you look at and say, you know, well, good grief. How did Louisville have the number nine class in the conference? They got to get better fast. Well, they took seven transfers, Mike. Like, Right, right. I mean, from this point forward, I guess from last year forward, really, like the transfer portal has made it so that recruiting is now like a multifaceted thing, right? Like mm-hmm. coaches have to recruit high school players, and that's going to be the bread and butter. But they also have to try to retain the players on their roster to keep them from transferring. Mm-hmm. And then they also have to go into the transfer portal to see if there's talent that they could add to the roster that would help right away, like immediately. So recruiting is always going to be most important at the high school level. Uh, but the transfer portal is becoming a pretty big part of it in terms of players coming in, players going out. So recruiting doesn't just stop after the two signing days, right? After the early signing day and then signing day in February, like that's not where recruiting stops because there's transfers in transfers out, you know, the, the spring games, like after all the spring games are played, by the way, Joey, all these spring games this year are going to be on ACC Network. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Every single every single team in the conference has a televised spring game this year on ACC Network, which is dope. Don't pretty know why it took three years to get here, but it is good. I, I'm a fan. Yeah, I mean, the only reason Virginia Tech is televised is because Fuente is not the coach anymore because <laughs> he did not want to put those on TV for whatever reason. Uh, I guess I understand why after watching the product on the field on Saturdays in the fall. The, Don't want people uh, to know what Brad Cornelison's calling. Yeah. God. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like the short bus version of Ask Madden, basically. It's like, you just like hit the square button and they give you like a really dumb play and you're like, you know what, I'll just pick the dumber play. <laughs> That's basically the Brad Cornelison playbook. The, uh, yeah, but anyway, you'll see a rash of guys transfer out of the, out of these football programs in the spring. Just, they're not going to have a spot in the fall. They're not going to be starting. They're not in the two deep, whatever. So the transfer portal will be hopping here in a couple months after these uh, these spring practices conclude. Yep, yep. Um, any big thoughts here on these uh, these signing classes, Mike? Before we move on and, and hit on the uh, schedules a little bit. No, I mean the the biggest thing is Carolina recruiting at a Clemson like level. So if they ever put that together on the field boy oh boy that's going to be a problem for the coastal like yeah they're gonna have to figure it out miami still recruiting at a high level even though they got coaching turnover and everything else and we already talked about the staff they're assembling i mean it's getting late early for the rest of the coastal mm-hmm. like, they're gonna have to really make up some ground i think the coaches understand that too with yeah. a lot of the a lot of the turnover in the division in particular yeah well, and, and the other thing I was going to mention, too, that I think we got to consider in terms of context with some of these rankings is 
especially in this early signing period uh, and, and the transfer portal era and like all these things that have kind of come up in the last couple of years and have changed the game with recruiting. One of the big things I think it's resulted in is a lot of these programs that change, you know, change coaches. A, those guys are scrambling, uh, you know, trying to fill their class, you know, within like 10 days of, of that early signing period, A. But B, some of them will come out and honestly tell you, like, I remember Billy Napier did this at Florida when he got hired. Was he basically said, like, we're not going to go out and bring in guys just to fill spots and be warm bodies and make sure, you know, we've got enough enough players, quote unquote. You know, they were going to try to be smart about their scholarship spots. And if it meant saving a, a spot or two for the following year when they could actually properly uh, evaluate talent and build relationships and take advantage of it, that's what they were going to do. And so... Um, again, I, th- I think that's something else that we got to consider is especially with some of these schools like, you know, Duke, Virginia, new coaches, new coaching staffs being a little bit conservative in terms of the number of uh, numbers of players that they're bringing in in this recruiting class where you haven't had a full evaluation cycle and, and you haven't had the chance to build relationships and do all those things. So um, just very much a thing. I think the, the point being that I think a lot of these to a certain degree, you got to take these rankings with a grain of salt. Um, just seeing where a team ranks nationally or even within the conference is is never going to be uh, like a full look at the you know the full picture of how are they doing in terms of adding talent to their roster. Bingo. Except when you're Texas A&M and you have the best recruiting class in recorded history, in which case, yes, it is a good indication that you are adding a lot of talent to your roster. Yeah, usually that's that's a good sign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but again, them like North Carolina have done it totally honestly with no uh, nefarious under the table dealings. So, no, uh, good on you, Jimbo no. and A and M. Yeah, I mean Carolina also is notorious for having a really strong academic space and uh, mm-hmm. a really good academic staff with, you know, no issues with, you know, school papers or you know other people doing their homework or anything like that. Right, We've right, never right. seen that before. Ever. They, they, yeah, they would right. never. They would never. No, no, they would never. Mike, let's move on. Um, <laughs> just leave that right there. Uh, let's talk schedules. But before we do, Mike, can we remind the people about Section103.com? We can. We have to. We have to. The, the, the materials, the designs, all of it, they're too good. The prices are too good, Mike. These shirts are so affordable. I can't believe I, – I don't know how Steven gives them away though, for the, uh, the prices that he does because they are incredibly high quality. They look great. Uh, you are wearing yours right now. I can see that. That looks great. Bobby Dodd is my happy place. I was almost stripping on camera for Joey there. Yeah. Dinner, yeah. And a sh- dinner and a show, Joey. All of you guys listening to this on the audio feed, you are unlucky. You almost got a show from Mike, and then you uh, there's no video feed. So, sorry. That's right. Yeah. Sorry about that. There's Mike, a reason why, though. <laughs> Section103.com is the best spot on the internet to go buy Georgia Tech t-shirts, sweatshirts, uh, hoodies, all those things. Uh, they have all sorts of great designs. They they have stuff with the official Tech Gold. Uh, they have the ATL logo. They've got all sorts of great designs. Uh, I love, love my Section 103 shirts. Uh, I basically can't keep them clean because I just wear them immediately after they come out of the laundry, and then I have to wait to uh, wash them again. And so uh, that's why I'm not wearing one right now. Is they're all dirty because I've been wearing them all. Um, right. Some Some cold weather lingering, by the way. If you're uh, trying to go out and do some outdoor activities but need to stay warm, use one of those hoodies, man. I, I cannot I cannot explain to you exactly how soft these hoodies are. They are unbelievable. Like to the point that I got one in the mail. I think I wore it once and then my wife stole it and will not give it back. 
So just incredibly soft, incredibly high quality wear. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I feel the same way. Look, it's the happiest I'll ever be wearing a Georgia Tech shirt. So <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know. I'm pretty happy with it. Absolutely. So go check them out, section103.com, for all the uh, Georgia Tech wear you could ask for in life. Uh, it, it is really great stuff. Uh, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. We really appreciate those who have. Uh, it sounds like a good number of you guys have been going to the site. We really appreciate that. It's It supports us as well as supporting Stephen and, and the gang there at Section 103. So please go do that. Once again, section103.com. Use promo code GOACC at checkout for 10% off your first order. Uh, go do that. Go do that. Cannot recommend it enough. Good stuff. Good stuff. Mike, uh, last kind of bit of news that we had this uh, this last week or so was the ACC dropping the full schedule for 2022. Um, I, I mean, we could go through every single week, every single game, but I don't think anybody wants to hear any part of that. So there are just kind of a few schedule quirks, I think, that we want to hit on that are kind of interesting to point out here for now. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, uh, all the spring games, those times have been published. And uh, as of now, all those games are going to be shown on the ACC network, which seems like a perfect use of that channel. Uh, I was you know, kind of disappointed that they hadn't done it in the past, but I'm glad that's going to be on now. Yeah, I, I think it's a big deal. First of all, you had all of the teams in the conference agree to it, which, I mean, I think that in and of itself deserves a round of applause. You know, mm-hmm. you're able to get every team, every school to agree to have their games televised. So mm-hmm. now it's a showcase, right? Now it's a showcase for all these teams to, you know, show what they have for the fall, right? Kind of an advanced scrimmage form. It's so like better or worse. See, yeah, you get to see at least some of the young guys that, that were recruited. You get to <laughs> see Cade Klubnik go up against DJU. You get to see Jeff Collins invent another slogan. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Can't wait. Virginia's Virginia's awesome, right? <laughs> Virginia is awesome. Uh as we say, Mike. Virginia's awesome. That's right. Uh Mike, a couple of scheduling quirks here. So we've got a couple of week zero games, and I'm I've got my head turned at these a little bit. Uh UNC playing Florida A and M and Florida State playing Duquesne, aka Oh, that's Duquesne. Duquesne. Okay. Um Duquesne. Duquesne. Uh, They're all doing, they're both doing that the weekend before Labor Day, Mm -hmm. which is fine. I mean, what I don't get here is that the combo of A, like these are not what you would call uh, marquee matchups. I would agree. I mean, Mike, you and I will be watching them because it'll be late August and it'll be football, and that's good enough for us. Mm -hmm. Um, We're disgusting. We're sick, disgusting people. We are. I'm wondering. I'm wondering uh, what the spread on that Duquesne Florida State game will be. I, I, I didn't even know Duquesne played football, frankly. So I, <laughs> I actually didn't either. It's one of the most like random FCS matchups for an ACC team I think I've ever seen on this podcast. Um, so, but, but like a, these are not marquee matchups. So I, I don't fully understand why you do those in week zero because B, now you get an extra bye week in the season. So Florida state has bye weeks in week two. And then again, later in, uh, I don't know what is that like week eight or something like that. Um, so you get an extra week off UNC then gets week three off before they host Notre Dame. And then again, a few weeks after that, before they host Pittsburgh. So, I mean, most of these teams in the conference 
have one bye week throughout the season. These teams effectively get two by spreading out the season. It, it feels a little, a uh, little unfair to me, Mike, personally. I mean, I, I think Carolina going Florida A and M App State Georgia State bye week, then going Notre Dame VT Miami Duke bye week, and then going Pitt UVA Wake Georgia Tech NC State. It's basically a season broken up into thirds. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's essentially what it is. Now, Florida State, you know, you mentioned they're they're playing in week zero against Duquesne. Dave Duquesne and then LSU on the road. Mm-hmm. Thoughts and prayer. Okay, thoughts and prayers there. Okay, that's that, that's actually a, a technically a neutral cider, but it's in New Orleans. So it's in it's, New Orleans. That's a road it? game. Yeah. I was gonna say, for all intents and purposes, it's a road game. Uh, <laughs> Brian Kelly's first game as the LSU head coach, he gets to play Florida State, who he opened with last year, and that almost really didn't go well for Notre Dame, for mm-hmm. what it's worth. Uh, they get a pretty early bye week there in week three, and then they play, I think, five games before uh, another bye week. So it's not as spread out for Florida State, where it's like you can find three distinct kind of mini seasons within the season for Carolina, which I find mm-hmm. interesting, but I don't know. I, I'm with you. Like high level takeaway is that I don't really understand why Florida State and North Carolina are playing week zero games against teams that basically have no business being on the field with FBS opponents. Yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, a couple of week one showcase games. Uh, Georgia Tech going to host Clemson on Labor Day night. Uh, that's in it's showcase. All right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's that second uh, Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Um, I, I guess technically Georgia Tech is going to be a home team there. I, I don't really know how that whole thing is going to work. This is their annual play it in Mercedes-Benz game. Uh, that'll be on Labor Day night. That'll be – we'll see how that goes because if uh, – anyways, never mind. We'll get to that. Uh, as you, well, wait, 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 wait. It'll go better than uh, the Northern Illinois game, won't it? I, I mean, you would hope so. Just kidding. God, <laughs> this is gross. Gross. Uh, Florida State, like you mentioned, on Sunday night before Labor Day goes to New Orleans to play LSU. Uh, that's effectively a road game. Um, it's effectively an L is what it is. Yeah. Well, and then Thursday night before Labor Day. So this is like really kind of opening night of college football season. The Pitt Panthers hosting the West Virginia Mountaineers to bring back the backyard brawl. And buddy, Hell yeah. I cannot wait. I am yep. stoked for that game. That will be appointment television for several reasons. Mm-hmm. The game itself, the alcohol content of the fans, and, and just also the general the people viewing. at the stadium. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like what I did there, Mike? I did, yes, because you insinuated that you and I will be very drunk, even though we're not at the game. So, yes. Celebrating, you know, in spirit from afar. At, with spirits. Like I always do. I was with. <laughs> Yes, celebrating in spirit with spirits. So, anyways, Ooh, that was that was funny, Joey. Okay, yes, uh, I will be enjoying that game as well. Yeah. Um, I, nothing really sticks out in the next couple of weeks. I do want to point out too, though, that that is the beginning of a slight trend. I think you know one of the things that's kind of bothered me about ACC scheduling the last few years, Mike, and I don't think I'm alone here, is that we have really gotten away from the prominence of the Thursday night game in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That really bugs me, but the good news is that we've got a few of those coming back. Um, so again, Pitt plays West Virginia there the Thursday before Labor Day. 
Um, a few weeks later, West Virginia travels to Blacksburg to take on your Hokies on a Thursday night. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. That'll be good. Uh, yep. We've got Virginia visiting Georgia Tech on a Thursday night in October. That'll be fun. The following week, we've got NC State uh, hosting Virginia Tech on a Thursday night. That'll be good. Mm-hmm. So we've had a number of these like Friday night games in recent years, and that's almost kind of become more of what Thursday night used to be. Um, but we've got a lot of a lot of Thursday games returning this year, and I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah, I mean, the, the Friday night games have kind of been a thing to the point where it's like I'd be at a bar. This is like four or five years ago now, Joey, but I would be at a bar. It was that night that it was it was like early October and Florida State was like a two touchdown favorite against Boston College and lost by mm-hmm. like two scores. Probably the red to the point where probably. And you texted me and you said, uh, did you see what BC did to Florida State tonight? And me, very intoxicated, looked at my phone. I said, they did what? Uh, yeah, that that's been taking place on a Friday instead of a Thursday. All mm-hmm. that to say, yeah, Thursday is better for that, frankly. But uh, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, the other interesting thing here to me, Mike, is uh, for for a few years now, I feel like UNC NC State has played on uh, Black Friday. They are being joined this year by Florida State hosting Florida on Black Friday. And I, I think that's a really cool game to give its own little bit of breathing room and uh, give me the chance to to watch it instead of, you know, all the other games going on on that rivalry Saturday. That'll be interesting, too. First year with Napier, uh, we'll see what this year is for Mike Norvell mm-hmm. um, in year three, you know. So that'll be, that'll be an interesting game. You know, you never know if Norvell, I, like we just said, he's recruiting well and all that. There There is some progress, but if he has kind of an iffy year and then loses a rivalry game to a year one coach at Florida, what does the hot seat look like for Norvell? Right. So that could be a potential storyline there mm-hmm. coming out of that game. So yeah, man, the rivalry games are always interesting. Plus we always get those firings, you know, year end firings. So yeah, it's always fun. That is true. Uh, Not about of- fun, but whatever. <laughs> A couple of interesting out-of-conference games wanted to bring up. Uh, week three on September the 17th, Miami is heading to College Station to play mm. a potential uh, a potential national title-level team in Texas A&M. Yep. That'll Give me be, the Aggies. Yeah, that'll be an interesting uh, little week three challenge for Mario Cristobal and his his crew, You know, whoever hasn't taken jobs elsewhere by then. But... Uh, <laughs> Good thing. Good. Yeah, I was going to say, lucky for Kevin Steele, he doesn't have to worry about that game. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, Duke traveling to Kansas to continue that series that everybody can't wait for. That'll be week four. Can we just stop playing that game, please? Because, <laughs> like, we have to watch it. Kind of feels like we should. Um, hey, good for Duke, though. That's a, that's a potential win on the schedule. Always like those. Yeah. Uh, don't count your chickens before they hatch there. <laughs> oh, Lance Leipold. Hmm. Uh, Notre Dame, the game. But do you disagree? No, I don't disagree. No, Lance okay, Leipold thank you. Okay, improving right. that program. Like that's yeah, agree. And quickly. So uh, interesting challenge there for Mike Elko in year one to see, you know, what they've got. I, frankly, playing that game in Lawrence, uh, probably give me Kansas. I think they, yeah, they're probably right. in position to win that game. Yeah, you and you and I are picking late September games and 
second week of February. Love this. All right, lock it up. No, 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 don't. don't lock it. Lock it. Lock it up. Lock it up. Um, am I counting this right, Mike? Is are there only four Notre Dame games this year? I'm seeing North Carolina in week four. I'm mm-hmm. seeing Syracuse uh, at the end of October. I'm seeing Clemson mm-hmm. the week after that, and Boston College uh, the week before Thanksgiving, basically. I'm looking at yeah, this I think logo that's correct. Yeah. That's interesting. Usually usually there's five, but this might be the one year in the cycle where there's four. So, um, of course, Boston College playing at Notre Dame, as is Clemson. Uh, Syracuse will host Notre Dame, as will North Carolina. So, um, other than that, Mike, anything else like really stick out to you about these schedules that you wanted to hit on? Virginia Tech's opener is on the road at Old Dominion. Hmm. Is that a uh, is that an opportunity to tro- totally like burn down any goodwill that Brent Pry has like in week one? My personal belief is that even if he were to lose that game to Old Dominion, it still won't be as bad as Fuente losing that game in year three. <laughs> uh, why am I seeing it's, it's listed as either the second or the third of September? Are they like flexing that game and we'll figure out if it's Friday or Saturday? I think. Okay, sure. Either way, it, either way, it just makes me a little nervous. Go for it. Speaking of oh, nervous, uh, Miami opens with Bethune Cookman, so I'd be nervous. What could go wrong? Uh, Virginia hosting the Shants of Coastal Carolina the week before they played Virginia Tech. Talk about a body blow game, huh? <laughs> Well, and that's after they play a stretch of Miami, North Carolina, and Pittsburgh. So, uh, yeah, and they, they got to deal with Grayson. At point. And they still got to deal with Grayson McCall, too, because he's coming back. So, mm-hmm. best of luck to UVA. Yeah, that'll be a uh, that'll be a challenging end of the season run. There, we'll say. Oh, Joey, you know what? That reminds me. Uh, you texted me this, and you texted my brother-in-law this as well mm. that. You you weren't sure you wanted to bring up this take on the podcast. Is now the time? Are you going to do this to me? Is now the time We're to uh, fifty eight minutes into the episode and talking about schedules? <laughs> are we gonna? Um, I can gonna, I can. Tease. Are we gonna base case? Are we gonna base case the UVA theory or now? Gonna... Uh, let me let me. I'll just tease it and we can maybe dive into it a little bit more on a future episode. Um, sure. Um, I have I have come to an opinion on uh, the Tony Elliott hire and the upcoming Tony Elliott tenure that I'm not sure Virginia fans are going to like. That basically tells you what the take is, but you know, we'll just leave it a little bit vague and we can get to that at another episode. Can I just, can I say something? You may love that (laughs) as a Virginia tech fan or as a podcaster, both, (laughs) both decidedly, decidedly both. I just both. I mean, I've, I've had plenty of opinions about UVA on this podcast before, but yours might be the one that pisses them off the most. So, <laughs> both. Yeah, well, just both. They will have to come back another day to uh, to get the full brunt of that take and uh, fire up the old response cannons. Um, Let's open the podcast with that next week. Oh, okay. <laughs> we need off season content, Joey. We got off season content. We're gonna we're gonna forget to do that by like tomorrow morning. So like. <laughs> 
<laughs> no promises, but if we remember, and if you guys remind us, then yes, we will. Uh, we can, you know what? Fine. We can open up the next episode with that take uh, if we remember. We need one of our longtime UVA, Chris Grondon or Banana Slug. Uh, Banana Slug or uh, Banana Slug's always Brian, on top of us. Brian Smith, who is always so friendly to me um, <laughs> on our reviews. You no, know, he's a UVA fan. Yeah, yeah. Any of you. Just remind us on Twitter a couple times, and we won't forget. And, uh, yeah, we'll get there to start next episode. We have a really good UVA contingent following this podcast. We do. So I'm sure they'll, they'll remind us. And I, I, I'm not even BSing. Not, it's, not, it's not a slight or anything. We legitimately have a very good UVA following on this podcast. So mm-hmm. I am so excited for this. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be good. That'll be fun. Um, hashtag embrace debate, Mike. Always. Embrace something. <laughs> You're, you're going to be in some trouble, buddy. I, you know what? That's, I, I knew that from the moment that we started this podcast six years ago. Like, this is Hot all about getting in trouble. It's uh, Look, if you're, you're getting in trouble over a take, I'm probably getting in trouble over some sort of comments I've made on this podcast. So. Oh, 100%. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a different I, kind of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're just going to piss people off for a couple of minutes. <laughs> I'm going to get us canceled. <laughs> uh, all right. On that note, Mike, I think that's all I got on the schedules. Anything else before uh, we get out of here? And I think we're good. Yeah. This has been pretty good. good. We got to save February episode. We got, I, I agree. Definitely, definitely good for a February episode. We have to make sure we save some content for next week. Yeah. You got to keep people coming back. Throw the, uh, throw the bait in the water and see, uh, see who's hooked. Yeah, we just got to try to keep this going as long as we can until my kid gets here in July, you know, because then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I right around the time we have to start the, the preseason, you know, the, the season previews, excuse me, it's late. <laughs> the season previews is right around the time I'm not going to be sleeping anymore. So that'll be good. Oh, just wait till we accuse you of uh, not letting your child think for itself and then and, and, uh, corrupting him with bad Virginia oh. takes and so on and so forth. Yes. Yes, well, if if they're bad Virginia takes, I probably raised him right. <laughs> hey, go Hokies. That's right. What does we say about Virginia, Mike? Virginia's awesome. That's right. Don't forget it. You know, <laughs> out of the two of us, I might be the one who loves Virginia after you <laughs> give your take next week. So, Well, people have to come back and find out. Yep. I'll have to come back and find out. All right, Mike, let's get out of here. Um, come find us on Twitter. I'm at FGRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI. Together at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns. The longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. And, of course, if you're interested in helping us with the uh, Tell Us About Your Team series, hit us up. we got to start that up soon, too, Mike. Keep that in mind. <laughs> should probably start up with UVA fans before you give your takes. <laughs> yeah, probably uh, record that before, uh, you know, before I <laughs> piss them off. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Spotify, all the good places. Please uh, rate and review. We really appreciate those who do. Uh, where else can they find us on the social medias? Uh, Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Please do. Please do. Mike, you good? You- you want to come back Good. and uh, get people all, you know, panties in a wad? Yeah, we we really should record that with UVA fans before you give your take. I was I was mostly <laughs> joking, but also kind of serious. 
Eh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. The hell's just fire from the hip. Just as as usual. As only we know how to. We're uh, always very well prepared. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike. I've enjoyed it. Let's uh, come back and do it again soon. How's that? That sounds good. Best of luck to Boston College on October 29th against UConn. Good luck. Do not, do not mess that one up, please. Don't bet the Huskies. There you go. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.